It's a joy to be able to open up the scriptures with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 4. We come this morning to what is, uh, for many of us, those of us at least who grew up in the church, uh, a very familiar passage. It's a vivid story. I know it's one that sticks in my mind with various illustrations from my Sunday school curriculum growing up as a covenant kid. It's a vivid story that accomplishes what Mark sets out to accomplish in this book, in the Gospel of Mark, and that is to reveal that Jesus is the Son of God. He is no mere teacher, but he is the Lord of life. As we come to a familiar passage, I want to encourage, especially those of you who uh, are familiar with this passage, to, in a sense, get in the boat. Get in the boat with the disciples, with Jesus, in this story that we're about to read. It's very clear as we read the passage, based on the details that are given, that Peter, the apostle Peter, is in the boat. It's Apostle Peter that has recounted to Mark all that he has seen in the life of Jesus. And Mark has written that down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us here today, the church, some 2,000 years later. And so I encourage you uh, to get into the boat and to follow along and to leave your Bibles or your inserts open as we walk through this passage uh, this morning. Let me read it to you. Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, starting... At verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were beating into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern. Asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. And Father, I stand before these, your people, as a broken jar of clay, holding a treasure of immeasurable worth. And so I pray that despite me, because of your word and the power that lies therein and the spirit that is in this place, that you would take this word, that it might not return to you void, but would accomplish all you intend for it to accomplish in the lives and the hearts and minds of your people gathered here today, and especially in the hearts and minds of those who may be here this morning who don't know you, who are simply exploring Christianity or exploring Jesus. Oh, Father, I pray that you would show them the glory of your Son. 
This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are certain words that none of us want to hear when we are trapped in a steel tube 30,000 feet above the earth, hurtling through the sky at 600 miles per hour. Words like this. Does anyone know how to fly a plane? My son Drew recently went on a trip to Atlanta from Seattle to visit his cousin and had uh, not quite that scary of uh, an announcement, but a woman who had been walking back towards the restroom collapsed in the aisle. She was unconscious. The stewardesses could not revive her, and they announced over the plane, is there anyone on board with medical expertise? And Thankfully, there was. There was an ER doctor who quickly came to her aid and cared for the woman until they were able to land the plane. You see, in situations outside of our control, whether they be real situations of physical peril, whatever the circumstances, when chaos is upon us, when things are out of our control, We need someone, we want someone who knows what they're doing, who's willing to enter into that mess with us. Brothers and sisters, Mark, in this passage, in the recounting of this amazing event, reminds us of why we need Jesus and how much we need Jesus. As we walk through this story and its teaching, I want us to focus on three truths that I want to draw out from this passage. And and Mark kind of helps all preachers everywhere as he lands and and links these three truths together with the Greek word megas, which is translated in your English translations, or at least in the ESV, as great. And so in verse 37, look at it with me. There is a great windstorm. In verse 39, there is a great calm. And then in verse 41, the disciples are filled with a great fear. So three truths, very simple truths. The first one is this, Jesus is Lord of the chaos. Jesus is Lord of the chaos. Or maybe I should make it a little more specific. Jesus is Lord of your chaos chaos Jesus is Lord of my chaos at this point in Jesus's life he's on a mission to proclaim the kingdom of God and to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus in himself and he's been doing this through teaching through parables some of the teaching is veiled so it's hard to understand And he's been doing it through healing, through miraculous deeds that he has been wandering around the countryside of Galilee performing. Word has gotten around. And so at this point in Jesus' life, he is essentially a first century rock star. I mean, sure, there are people who hate him. There are people that are already devising how to get rid of him, but there are throngs of people who love him. And they just want to know what he's about. And they just want a a piece of Jesus. 
Mark tells us that the crowds got so big at the beginning of this chapter that Jesus has to get off of the shore. He has to get into a boat just so he can preach and proclaim to all the people that are lining the shore. As the day ends, they're already in the boat. And so what does Mark recount? He says they decided to go across to the other side. That was Jesus' decision. And they took him just as he was. He's already in the boat, so here we go across the boat across the sea Jesus is tired he's exhausted and Mark tells us and gives us this this beautiful snapshot of the humanity of Jesus the weakness of Jesus Jesus is, is tired he's asleep in the stern of the boat as this storm out of nowhere comes in and begins to rock the boat. Now, storms in the Sea of Galilee are to this day a reality. I know when I think about the Sea of Galilee in my Sunday school curriculum mind, I think of it as kind of this little pond. Uh, but no, the Sea of Galilee was, was huge. It was big, 64 square miles, 13 miles wide, 9 miles across. It was a big body of water. And it was a body of water that was basically in a bowl. It was in a basin, 700 feet below sea level. And just to the northeast of the Sea of Galilee was Mount Hermon at 9,300 feet. One of the few places in Israel, maybe the only place in Israel, that actually gets snow. And so you've got the the cold air coming off of Mount Hermon. You've got the, the warm air below sea level. And these airs collide and boom mega storm great storm and so this storm comes and jesus is asleep soundly on a cushion in the bottom of the boat and the disciples start freaking out now keep in mind these this is not nate hitchcock on the hawaiian catamaran when i was on vacation with my wife puking my guts out on on calm seas no these are hardy seasoned fishermen and things are bad things are dangerously bad and the power of this storm and the predicament that they find themselves in with Jesus asleep soundly below it fills them with with fear if we were to pause just a moment before Jesus has said anything I think that Jesus is already beginning to take the hearts of his disciples where he wants to take them. And he's beginning to take our hearts here this morning where he wants our hearts to go as well. You see, this is so much bigger than some random storm on the Sea of Galilee thousands of years ago. But the disciples, just like us, if we were in the boat, and you are in the boat this morning, you're thinking about nothing more than your own life, than your own skin. And so they awake Jesus with these words, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now just think about that phrase. Do you not care that we are perishing, they say to Jesus. Now I'm guilty sometimes of some bad phraseology in my marriage as I think we all are. 
One example, for instance, if my wife comes out with a, with a sandwich she's made for herself, and rather than saying to her, oh, wow, would you mind making me a sandwich as well? I say stuff like, did you not make me a sandwich? <laughs> now, that communicates something very different than I wanted to communicate to my wife. And the disciples, in asking Jesus for help, they realize they've got nowhere else to go. They want Jesus' help, but in doing it in this way, they accuse him of apathy. You, you don't care about us, Jesus. But Jesus is asleep. And sleeping doesn't, it doesn't reveal apathy. No, in this situation, Jesus fast asleep reveals confidence a confidence that he now displays through his words as he shouts amidst the howl of the wind and the, and the crash of the waves and he says be muzzled it's the same two words he uses to, to speak to the demons to cast the evil spirits outside of those who are enslaved by them See, he doesn't request. Jesus rebukes. And in an instant, at the sound of their creator's voice, can you imagine? The waves stop rolling. The wind loses all of its breath. And the sea becomes calm. And that leads us to the second truth. Jesus is not only Lord of the chaos, but Jesus is Lord of the calm. Jesus is the Lord of your calm. And this is really the great reveal for Mark as he's recounting this experience of the apostle Peter. The big reveal is that Jesus is no man, no mere man. Oh, he's a great teacher, but Jesus is God himself. Listen to these words from Psalm 107. You see, the disciples, these Jewish men that were in the boat with Jesus, they knew that as Jesus, as they witnessed Jesus speak to the waves, something clicked in their minds. That, that's what Yahweh does. That's what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob does. That's what our God does. Psalm 107, verses 23 through 30. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them. He made the storm still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. See, what those men in that boat had never experienced, but they had in their entire lives heard about, as they went to synagogue, as they heard Psalm 107 read to them, they now are witnessing it. Yahweh's power through their friend Jesus. Jesus is Lord of the chaos. Jesus is Lord of the calm. 
See, this is a truth not just jaw-dropping for, uh, for his disciples, those who witnessed that event. But it's a jaw-dropping truth for us. Because this isn't about just an isolated storm. This is about chaos. You see, in the ancient Hebrew culture, in the ancient Hebrew mindset, the waters and the seas represented chaos. They represented wildness. They represented darkness. The untamable, the scary. That's why David says in Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. David is not literally drowning. He's just using that water image metaphorically. I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. I have come into the deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. And as we listen to those words this morning, I ask you, do you ever feel like the flood is sweeping over you? I know I do. That loss, that diagnosis, that strained relationship, that depression, that weakness, the addiction, those memories, that delay of God, that disappointment, those wounds, all storms in our lives, all circumstances outside of our control. What comfort can there be in this life, in this broken world, that there is a Lord of the chaos, that there is a Lord of the storm, and his name is Jesus. That weakness you feel, that disappointment you have felt, Jesus felt it too. He's not clueless. He came here in order to walk in your shoes. And he's Lord of all. You see, he's not indifferent. If you this morning confess the name of Jesus, you are his child. You are beloved of the Father. And these truths are yours. Grab a hold of them. There's a story that's attributed to Robert Louis Stevenson who wrote the classic work, Treasure Island. And he recounts, he writes this. Let me, uh, it's a little bit of a lengthy quote. Let me read it to you. Very similar story. He says, it was a ship caught in a dreadful storm off a rocky coast. The hurricane winds, the driving rain, the heaving waves threatened to drive the ship and its passengers to destruction. In the midst of the terror, one daring man pulled himself up the slippery stairs of the ship's hold to the deck, fearful of what he'd see. The ship tossed steeply, creaking and cracking, pierced the steady whoosh of the sea. The moonlight and the heavy rain did not allow much vision, but the sailor fast held fast and gazed across the deck to the wheel of the ship. And there he saw the pilot. The pilot at his post, gripping the wheel strongly and bit by bit steering the ship out to sea. And the pilot spotted the terrified spy and, and gave him a smirk. The passenger returned to the hold and sounded to news to all below. I have seen the face of the pilot. And he smiled at me. All is well. You see, in the chaos of our lives this passage reminds us 
that all is well. You just have to look and see his smile. Friends, this is where the gospel breaks into the mundane of our lives. This is where the gospel matters long before we ever get to the grave. The gospel is not just about eternal life, although it is and we long for it. The gospel is about the chaos of your life and the disappointment of your life. And though those waters may be slow to settle, all is well because of Jesus. Here's one of the tricky things reading that passage from Psalm 107. In verse 25, I read this verse. I'll remind it to you. He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. See, we know that Jesus, when he came to earth, he limited himself in his human nature. So we don't know whether Jesus, driving his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, knew what they were going to experience that night. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But this we know. God the Father knew exactly what they were driving into, exactly what they were sailing into. And it's a reminder for us that sometimes we operate under the assumption, and sometimes in evangelical Christianity, there can be this message that, Following Christ is all about 75 degrees and sunny every day of every life. And it's just not like that. No, storms come in our lives and sometimes God allows those storms to come in our lives. Sometimes it takes a storm to move us. Sometimes it takes a storm to move me. And that's not to say that every disappointment, that every bit of chaos in your life is a result of your own stubbornness. Some of it might be. But this is a reminder that God knows what he is doing. Even in this broken world. He knows the storm. He can prevent the storm. Or he can wait sleep for a while, and rebuke the storm in his own timing. And that brings us to our last great, and it's found in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. One more truth to meditate on. Jesus is not only Lord of the chaos. Jesus is not only Lord of the calm. But Christian, rest in Jesus, the God to be feared. A few months ago, my family and I went on a hike. Uh, it's actually a hike I first went on with Joseph and Caleb to Lake 22. It's a, a great hike up to this beautiful mountain lake surrounded by peaks and, and quite a trek up there. And as my family and I were getting close uh, to the lake, it began to be snowy. And then it got more and more snowy. And then we finally made our way up to the lake, and the lake was still half frozen at this time in the spring. And you could hear as you were looking at this just majestic peaks in the, in the background, just on the other side of the lake, you could hear the rumblings of avalanches falling around us. And my wife made the comment that this beauty and this majesty was in a sense too much. 
it was terrifying to her. She wanted to stay and soak it all in, but at the same time, she wanted to leave and get away. You see, as Jesus calms this storm, the danger's gone, but what do the disciples do? They're not celebrating. They are stunned. They're scared to death at the presence that they now find themselves in. Slowly but surely, as Jesus walks with these men, they are figuring out who he is. He is the God-man. And he is more awe-inspiring than the storm. But notice how gentle Jesus is. The disciples, with their bad phrasing as they woke Jesus up, weak, need, feeble men, he rebukes them with two simple questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What's Jesus saying? Jesus is simply saying, trust me. Faith is the antidote to fear. There's a great phrase that the Old Testament king King Jehoshaphat says that I love in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Israel is being pressed by their enemies and the king cries out to God, to Yahweh, and he says, O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them, on, on their enemies, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And here's the phrase that he says, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's all we can do sometimes. Jesus is the author of our faith. Jesus is the giver of our faith. And he's the object of our faith. You don't have to understand what's going on. You don't have to know what to do. Just believe in the one he has sent. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the one who is seated at God's right hand right now interceding for you and for me. And by the way, I do not want you to walk from this place hearing from this sermon that you need to muster more faith. This is not about mustering more faith. It's about seeing Jesus for who he is. It's about praying for more faith. It's about grabbing a hold of him with whatever weak grip you can grab a hold of him. And the woman that comes to mind is the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and she cut her way through the crowd and all she did was grab the hem of his garment and she was healed. That's all she had. She couldn't confront him. She couldn't speak to him. She just grabbed a hold of him. And that's all Mark is asking us to do. Jesus is not only one who can calm the storm, who knows the storm, but Jesus is the one who went through the great storm on your behalf and on my behalf. One of the things I don't want you to miss from this passage is the similarity between this story that Mark gives and another familiar Bible story from the Old Testament, the story of Jonah. Jesus, in another place in Matthew chapter 12, 
will speak of himself. He will compare himself to Jonah. He doesn't do that explicitly here, but just think about the similarities between this story and the story of Jonah. Both Jonah and Jesus are on the sea in a boat. Both Jonah and Jesus get caught in a storm while they both sleep in the hold of the ship. And they both receive cries from the sailors to help. We are perishing. And in both cases, divine intervention calms the storm. And those who are left are scared to death. What's the difference? The difference is that Jesus is the greater Jonah. That Jesus is all that Jonah could never be. Jonah was thrown into the heart of the storm to save the crew. He was swallowed by the darkness of the water and then entombed in a whale for three days. Jesus threw himself into the heart of the storm of God's wrath. He was swallowed by the darkness, our darkness, your darkness, my darkness. As the father turned his back on his son, and he was entombed in a rock only to rise wonderfully and terrifyingly so three days later. See, Jesus proves who he says he was. He proved that the salvation he brings extends long into eternity. He proves that the life that he offers now is true life. And he says, just grab hold of it. the beginning of our service this morning we read a passage from revelation i want to close with another verse from revelation the end of revelation as john speaks about the new heavens and the new earth he says this then i saw a new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more what was john saying no more chaos No more darkness, no more uncertainty, only safety. What a Savior. What good news we have to live in and to proclaim. So friends, rest. In the great chaos of your lives, in those periods of of calm, however often you get them, rest, knowing that you serve a great God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the promises and the truth that is found here. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take these words, take these promises, and plant them deep in the heart of your children, that they might know you more, that they might love you more, and give us faith, give us grace when we don't know what to do that we might fix our eyes on you this i pray in the name of jesus our savior amen